Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network, where we offer you podcasts of the supernatural and the unexplained. Get ready now for Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are thoughts and opinions only and do not necessarily reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks or their sponsors and associates. You are encouraged to do the proper amount of research yourself, depending on the subject matter and your needs. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For almost 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death. And so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. Well, hello. I hope you're having a wonderful day, whatever you've been doing. Welcome, of course, to our show. Before we start, I just want to give you some news because I feel like celebrating. The greatest is that our first feature film is really making a big splash. I never thought I'd be the producer of a film, but our friend and director, Robert Lyon, has created a masterpiece called Rinaldi. Instrumental Transcommunication with the Other Side. And I know you've heard me talk about it before, but it's really great. We're getting so many great comments about it. It's the story of Sonia Rinaldi and her work for over 30 years, capturing voices and now images of those in the afterlife. And 99% of the people she works with are parents and the stories of parents being reunited with their children through these images and getting that knowing that their child has survived is just amazing. So I'm so proud. And like I said, getting so many great responses. So I think you should see it. Bottom line, everything is at our webpage, we don't die.com. You can click on the store button. I think that's the easiest way to find it. Also, this month makes two years of doing our free Sunday gathering. And it was our way of giving back back when COVID first hit, when many of us lost our jobs and were forced to recreate ourselves. And thankfully for me, I've been interested in the afterlife. And obviously being the author of a book, this became instead of a part-time hobby, this became a full-time passion for me. On our Sunday gatherings, we inspire you week after week with a different topic, give you joy in your day, things to look forward to in your week. And within each and every one, there's a demonstration of mediumship. So we hold them on Zoom. And no matter where you are in the world, it's possible your loved one could come through in the demonstration. We're so proud of it. And it's a great reason to believe in the afterlife when you see all these reconnections that happen and so much more. Every month we hold weekly classes, which are pretty cool. I mean, they're great, actually. You've heard of trance mediumship and physical mediumship. Well, we have the number one physical medium in the world, Scott Milligan, doing a Monday course with us called Trance and the Altered States. You know, we talk about our loved ones being around us. And of course, they have jobs to do in the afterlife. And they're busy living their own lives. But they're only a thought away from us. They really are. They're around us. And you think of them, and they can be here. But also, we have guides. We have beings that love us, that have lived their life, and they're here to support us in ours. So I think depending on what we're doing in life and what we need, maybe our guides change a bit. I do think that we have 
one or more that have been with us since birth. But when we sit on Mondays, it's an opportunity to quiet the mind and lower that veil between the two worlds. So if we do have our guides or inspirers that wish to communicate with us or communicate through us, through philosophy or inspiration, they can do that. But it's also a good opportunity to reach out to our loved ones and get to that space where the mind is quiet so the heart and soul can feel the love from our loved one who has passed. We're so proud of it. Every Tuesday, we do a class called The Way to Your Spirit. And it's just a private journey for you, really. So you get the most bang for the buck, so to speak, on your adventure of being human. It's done with Carrie and Phil, who are great mediums. And there's a lot of time sitting within your own power and learning things that can really give you that edge in life, most enjoyable. And then on Wednesdays, we do a psychic development class. And that's pretty cool too, because you work with people in breakout rooms and you realize you know things about another person that you really shouldn't. How is that possible? Because we are all divine souls and have a huge potential. I was talking to my mom today about why is it sometimes she and I think the exact same thing at the exact same time. And we could be sitting together, doing our own work, being quiet for half hour or so, and all of a sudden we'll come out with the same thing at the same exact time. I call that our psychic nature. And when you think about all the satellites that are circling Earth right now, and they're all sending this invisible signals and invisible information, first of all, I think that's mind-blowing. Second, if these satellites are able to do it, why aren't we, whether we're soul to soul with another human being or soul to spirit with someone who is deceased? We humans fall so much into the illusion that we've got to see it to believe it. But the truth is there's so much happening in the invisible world. And I always ask you to consider this ever-expanding universe with billions and billions of galaxies and stars and planets that we human beings may not ever know in our lifetime the answers to everything. So in that invisible space, yep, psychic communication, but also our loved ones. And on Thursdays, that's what we do. We have medium development class. We never thought these classes would be possible online in Zoom rooms, but they are, because our souls are so powerful. Even though we might be inhabiting a body, we can see and view and feel someone who's on the other side of the world or in the other world, in the afterlife. So we're so proud of the classes. And then on Fridays, our friend Scott Milligan, who is a magnificent trance medium, brings through information from his inspirers, and we get to have a conversation with someone in the afterlife. You can come for free, you can leave a donation. We really want to support all, not just believing in the afterlife, but how to live a good life while we're here. So again, all that's on the website, we don't die.com. And speaking of being in two places at once, there's been some research done by several mediums who have at the very same exact time worked with clients to bring through the very same person. So in the United States was one medium, in Australia was with another. Two sisters, both with their same mother in the afterlife, at the very same time, Each medium was able to bring through accurate information from the deceased mother. I find that extraordinary because that tells me that we can, I don't know if bilocate is the correct word or not, but we can be in two places at the very same time after we expire from this world. So that brings us into our conversation for today. Are we recycled? And this is a conversation about reincarnation. 
And I know we've spoken about this before, but I've got some neat new stories for you. And I want to share some words with Dr. Jim Tucker, who has done a ton of research into reincarnation. I want to be 100% upfront with you, though, on this. While it does make sense that we recycle, and if Earth is so great, why shouldn't we have a second chance, right? Well, I really believe what may happen goes so far beyond what we can possibly imagine. And I don't talk about this much because it's a very common concern from people who have contacted me when their loved one has passed away. They're afraid they've already reincarnated and they won't get to see them in the afterlife. So this, my friends, is certainly not true. There have been cases of those claiming to be reincarnated, yet when a medium tries to contact them or their spirit in the afterlife, they've been able to come through and give messages for the loved one, evidentially. So it could mean that those who report having memories of someone who have lived before are actually just highly mediumistic. So it isn't their former life they're tapping into. They are talking to a spirit person and not knowing it. So there's a possibility. Many people believe we reincarnate in soul groups, meaning that all the people in your life will come back lifetime after lifetime, each playing different parts in order for us to learn the most, and we get to have a well-rounded soul, so to speak. Then we wait up in the afterlife for everyone to meet up together again, and we can choose whether we want to go back or not. And if we don't go back, there's plenty of work to be done on the afterlife as guides or whatever other duties or interests you might have. Why I tend to believe there's a much bigger picture is when we look at the population of the earth. 50 years ago, there were only 4 billion people living on planet earth. Now there are almost 8 billion. So if we just kept reincarnating over and over and over again, there would still only be 4 billion people on this earth. But population has doubled. So where did these extra souls come from? Or... Could parts of us be in two or more places at once? You know, maybe part of us is happy and living the good life in the hereafter, and another part of us has come back to Earth to piggyback on a soul inhabiting life right now. You know, anything truly is possible. But please don't be afraid that you won't be able to see your loved ones again. I promise you they'll be right there to meet you and greet you when you pass into the next world. Also, The stories I'm going to share with you today are definitely amazing, and they point to the reality of the afterlife. So, of course, that's why we're here. There's a funny cartoon that's got a picture of an old man reading a newspaper, and on it says reincarnation, and a little boy sitting next to him. And the little boy says, funny, I didn't believe in reincarnation when I was your age either. Kind of cute. When we come back from the break, we're going to hear some words from Dr. Jim Tucker about reincarnation and an amazing story. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels. A story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys. 
I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we're talking reincarnation. Are we recycled? Someone who has done a ton of work in the field of reincarnation is Dr. Ian Stevenson, who has passed away. Yes, he has. But while he was alive, he conducted more than 2,500 case studies over a period of 40 years with children who supposedly remembered past lives. Carrying on that work is Dr. Jim B. Tucker. He is a professor of psychiatry and neurobehavioral studies at the University of Virginia. And I want to play for you now a presentation he had made, and he gives a very compelling story that you might have heard about in the news of a boy and reincarnation. The story begins with Ian Stevenson, and he came here to be the chairman of the Department of Psychiatry in 1957. At that point, he was in the middle of, of quite a successful mainstream career. Uh, he had nearly 70 publications to his credit at that point. Uh, but he also had an interest in parapsychology. And after he had been here a while, uh, he heard about these cases of children from various parts of the world who describe memories of a past life, and he decided to go investigate those cases. Um, he was able to fund that travel uh, with the help of Chester Carlson. Uh, Chester Carlson invented the Xerox machine, so he was quite wealthy, and he became a big supporter of Ian's. Um, so in 1967, uh, with Carlson's help, Ian was able to step down as chairman of the department and established the, what we now call the Division of Perceptual Studies. So that this year marks our 50th year anniversary, uh, and we've been going strong ever since then. As for Ian, uh, once he established the division in, in 1967, he spent the bulk of the next 40 years focused on these cases of, of children reporting past life memories. Uh, he published numerous books and, and papers about them, uh, one of his books was reviewed in JAMA, and it was actually reviewed by the book review editor, um, who wrote, In regard to reincarnation, he has painstakingly and unemotionally collected a detailed series of cases from India, cases in which the evidence is difficult to explain on any other grounds. 
He's placed on record a large amount of data that cannot be ignored. So to tell you a little bit about this phenomenon, we have now studied over 2,500 cases from <coughs> around the world. Uh, they are easiest to find in cultures with a belief in reincarnation, but they have been found wherever anyone has looked for them. Uh, they have been found on all the continents uh, except Antarctica. And they typically involve very young children who spontaneously start talking about a past life and a recent ordinary past life. These kids are not claiming to be Cleopatra or Julius Caesar or anything like that, uh, just describing somebody who lived and died. The one part of the life that's often out of the ordinary is how the previous person died. In over 70% of the cases, the previous person died by unnatural means, meaning murder, suicide, uh, accident, combat, that sort of thing. And often the kids, in fact, in most of the cases that we've investigated, the kids give enough details uh, so that people have been able to confirm that somebody did actually live and die whose life matches the details that the child gave. Now, along with the statements, uh, the children often show emotional or behavioral features that seem connected to the, the material they're describing. Uh, and I'll give you an example of that in a minute. In addition, some children even have birthmarks or birth defects that match wounds, usually the fatal wounds, on the body of the previous person. And Ian studied a lot of these cases. Uh, one was a little girl who remembered the life of a man who got his fingers chopped off as he was being murdered. And the little girl was born with her hands looking like that. Uh, there was a boy who remembered the life of a boy in another village who had lost the fingers of his right hand in a fodder chopping machine. And the second little boy was born with his hands looking like that, which is quite an unusual defect. Uh, and then there was a boy who remembered uh, the life of a man who had been killed by a shotgun blast to the side of his head. And the little boy was born with just a stump for an ear and an underdeveloped right side of his face. Ian also listed 18 cases in which <coughs> children were born with two birthmarks, ones that matched both the entrance wound and the exit wound uh, on the body of, of a uh, gunshot victim. Now, in recent years, we have focused more on American cases. And we can now say with certainty that this is not purely a cultural phenomenon that takes place in, in areas with a belief in reincarnation. Uh, because we have lots of American cases, and most of them take place in families who had never believed in reincarnation before the children started talking about a past life. I want to give you an example of a case. Uh, this is a case that uh, got some publicity a few years ago. Uh, it's a little boy named James Leininger. Always oh, not so little anymore, but uh, James was the son of a Christian couple in Louisiana. And his dad, in particular, was quite opposed to the idea of, of reincarnation uh, before all of this started. But around the time of his second birthday, James started having horrible nightmares multiple times a week in which he would be kicking his legs up in the air and screaming, airplane crash on fire, little man can't get out. And during the day, he would take his little toy airplanes and he would say, airplane crash on fire, and bam, he would slam them into the family's coffee table. He did this over and over again, and, and his parents uh, are apparently tolerant people because uh, their coffee table had dozens of scratches and dents from airplane crash on fire, bam. So when you add that play to the nightmares that he was having, he really looked like a traumatized child, um, but he had not experienced any trauma, uh, at least in this life. And then a little while after his second birthday, uh, his parents were able to have several conversations with him uh, during the day in which he could talk about these things. He said how his plane had crashed on fire, uh, how he had been shot down by the Japanese, and he said that he flew a Corsair. Now, I'd never heard of a Corsair, but it was a special plane that was developed during World War II. Then when he was 28 months old, he said one day that his plane had flown off of a boat. And his parents asked him the name of the boat, and he said, Natoma. 
And it turns out that there was a USS Natoma Bay that was stationed in the Pacific during World War II. Then when he was two and a half, his father bought this book on Iwo Jima to give to his own father, uh, James's grandfather, uh, for Christmas. And he was looking through it one day when James came and got in his lap. And they were thumbing through it, and they got to this page, and James pointed at the picture and said, that's where my plane was shot down. And his dad said, what? And he said, my airplane got shot down there, Daddy. And that just floored his dad that his two-and-a-half-year-old was talking like that. And then he learned that, in fact, the Natoma Bay did take part in the Iwo Jima operation. Then when James got old enough to draw, he drew dozens and dozens of pictures of planes and battle scenes, and he always signed in James III and said that he was the third James. Well, eventually, with all this going on, his dad did begin to wonder if he was remembering a past life. So when James was four and a half, he went to a Natoma Bay reunion, and he learned that one and only one pilot from the ship had been killed during the Iwo Jima operation. Uh, this was a young man from Pennsylvania uh, named James Houston. So what we can do is compare what James Leininger said to James Houston's life to see how well they match. Now, James's parents said that he also talked about family life before the war, but we don't have documentation of those statements that was made before Houston was identified. Uh, but what we do have here, this is a list of items where we do have definite documentation made before anyone knew anything about James Houston. So James signed his drawings James III. Houston was James Jr., which would make James Leininger the third James. James said he flew off the Natoma. Houston was the pilot on the USS Natoma Bay. James said he flew a Corsair. Houston had flown a Corsair. He was actually flying a different plane when he was killed, but he was part of the squadron that tested the Corsair for the Navy. James said he was shot down by the Japanese, and Houston was shot down by the Japanese. James said he died at Iwo Jima. Houston was the one and only Natoma Bay pilot killed during the Iwo Jima operation. James said one day, quote, my airplane got shot in the engine and crashed in the water, and that's how I died. Eyewitnesses reported that Houston's plane was, quote, hit head on right on the middle of the engine. James had nightmares of his plane crashing and sinking in the water, and Houston's plane crashed in the water and quickly sank. And James said one day that his friend Jack Larson was there, and Jack Larson was the pilot of the plane next to Houston's on the day that he was killed. Uh, James is now 18 years old. Uh, he graduated from high school last spring, and he has now joined the Navy. I hope you enjoyed listening to that. Every time I do, I get filled with goosebumps. And especially when the young boy was saying, I flew the course air my plane got hit. He's experiencing it first person, and he's just little. So that points to reincarnation. I also know from my own experience doing mediumship and experiencing what it's like for a discarnate person to work through me, I actually feel like I am that person. I feel the emotion. I feel the love for the recipient. I feel memories as if they're my own. So again, this could point to this young boy being highly mediumistic and feeling those feelings. Doesn't really matter though, does it? Because it points to life after death. So we'll be back with more stories in just a minute. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. 
This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. Now, I encourage you to go check out the books by Jim B. Tucker, MD. He's the fellow you heard from just before the break who is pioneering this field of children's memories. His latest book is called Before children's memories of previous lives. And it's actually a two-in-one book because he's combined his two books, Life Before Life and Return to Life, in one book. So I'm reading the book, and there's some extraordinary stories, but one that's really caught my eye is about a five-year-old boy named Ryan. Ryan's father is a policeman, and his mother works for the county clerk's office. And little Ryan kept telling these stories as if he was someone else. The wife was exploring reincarnation. The parents ended up getting into a big fight about it because, you know, who believes in reincarnation? And the little boy overheard the fight. And so the father ended up comforting his son and said, you can tell me anything. And so these are in the words of the wife, and her name is Cindy. Ryan left for a moment after our fight and came back carrying a big book about Hollywood. He crawled up beside my husband, Kevin, and thumbed through the thick pages until he found a picture that he was so excited to show his daddy. See, daddy, mommy got this book. She found me. That's me, and that's George, and we did a picture together he said, pointing at two men in a photo of six. The me was on the far right in a bowler hat, and George was second from the left. The photo caption was on the far edge of the opposite page, saying the still was from a 1932 movie called Night After Night, starring George Raft, whom Ryan had pointed to. It was Mae West's first film. 
Kevin was speechless, his face full of questions. Ryan talked for a few minutes and said that he loved both of us, and he was glad he could finally tell us both about the old me. Then he asked if he could go into the living room and watch cartoons. I had explained to my husband everything I had been holding back for months. Ryan had told me one night that he had a secret, and he was pretty sure that it was a secret he wasn't supposed to tell. He knew that he used to be somebody else. He was another person who was a movie star and lived in Hollywood. He was rich, and he lived in a big house with a large swimming pool in the yard. The house had been full of children. In fact, he had had three boys. He didn't think that the boys were his, but gave them his name because no one else could. He had been in movies and had driven a green car. He went to fancy parties with the cowboy man, the guy who had the horse that did tricks. This man was his buddy and was also in the movie. The cowboy had also done all of those cigarette commercials. So Cindy, the wife, ended up buying a bunch of Hollywood books and bringing them home. I never imagined finding a picture of a man that Ryan would say was him. That never even occurred to me, but it happened just as he had shown Kevin that night. Ryan had pointed to the same photo a few weeks ago, saying the same thing. You found me, Mama. You found me. That's me, and that's George, and we did a picture together. With the passing weeks, he knew small things and he knew big things. Things like, I hated cats, or I used to travel on big boats because that's how you got to see the world, on a big boat. Most nights, his concern seemed to be, what happened to the children? And what was his mother's name? He just couldn't remember. He knew she had short, dark, curly hair. Kevin suggested we look for clips of night after night on YouTube. Even though it was such an old movie, he was able to find the whole thing. We went into the kitchen and pulled up two chairs in front of the computer and began to watch. When it came to the brief portion with the man from Ryan's photo, we stared at it in silence. The actor in question never spoke a word. Kevin then called Ryan into the kitchen and had him watch some of the film for the first time. We came to the part that showed the men opening up a closet stocked with guns. Ryan had remembered this earlier. He had already told me that while making the movie, they had all helped to carry the guns and load them into the closet. Ryan went on then to tell Kevin excitedly about the closet being full from top to bottom. His little face was completely animated because now he knew that it was okay to tell Daddy and I everything. Kevin and I watched the rest, and the actor whom Ryan pointed was only in one other short scene, also without lines. This meant he was an extra, meaning that none of the names mentioned in the credits belonged to him. So we had no idea who he was. Often it was like working a jigsaw puzzle. Sometimes there would be full of stories about dances on the stages of New York with his buddies, how the little man who ran the Chinese restaurant had become his friend and taught him how to meditate, what it was like to have an endless supply of money and to be able to travel the world. He said he knew Rita Hayworth, whom he saw in a photo, and that she made ice drinks. Other times they were just fragmented statements. Although he often talked like a grown-up, we must remember that Ryan was only five years old. One day, he began doing a tap dance routine in the middle of the floor, saying, tip-tap, tip-tap, as if he was keeping a beat for himself. He said he remembered how to do it and asked if I would get him some tap shoes. I heard some music today on a cartoon, and it made me remember how to dance because it reminded me of one of the songs we used to use, he explained. He would also cry for me to buy agent clothes, Ties, suits, dress shirts, and clothes that were not appropriate for everyday dress for little boys. He wanted black-rimmed agent glasses. He took a pair of kids' 3D movie glasses and popped the lenses out and wore them everywhere. One day, he was talking to me again about Hollywood. Mommy, I don't want to be an actor, and I don't want to go back there. Hollywood is scary, and I just want to be Ryan. 
But then, later that night, he cried for about 30 minutes before going to sleep, telling me over and over that he was homesick. A few weeks later, I had one of the more important conversations with Ryan. When we went to visit my brother's grave at the local cemetery, Ryan told me that he had been in a graveyard before because his buddy had to go to the graveyard to see Senator Five. I asked Ryan, who is Senator Five? He was the meanest villain that you would ever want to meet. When me and my buddy worked for the agency, they were investigating him. He was one dirty, mean guy. Ryan, was this while you were in Hollywood? Mom, I don't think you really want to hear about Senator Five. I'm not talking about one of my films. This happened, but the graveyard wasn't in Hollywood. It was somewhere else. We had been home about two hours when Ryan asked to see a map of the United States. Then he pointed to New York. Mom, that's where we went to meet Senator Five. I wonder if they ever got him. We never did. The agency wanted him. The police wanted him. But we never got him. Ryan said he saw Senator Five's face at night when he was asleep. And at that moment, I knew exactly that was what was haunting my child's dreams. Ryan always seemed to be looking over his shoulder, somehow being frightened of Senator Five, whether he was real or fantasy. On April 17th, we had our meeting with Dr. Jim Tucker, who was just as pleasant as I had imagined he would be. During the interview, he asked me if I believed that the agency could all be make-believe. I told him that the agency was the one thing Ryan was certain of, He had been an agent with an agency that had been involved in changing people's names. A television show called The Unexplained, which was covering Dr. Tucker's work, was interested in Ryan's case. They thought they knew who the man in the bowler hat was, but when they showed us a picture of him, Ryan thought it was the wrong man. Dr. Tucker wasn't convinced either, but when they offered to take Ryan to Hollywood, Ryan was intensely excited. So we decided to go, but it was a disaster because Ryan didn't react to any of the locations they took him to, except for that of his cowboy friend from the movie whom we identified as Wild Bill Elliott. They did not treat us well, and we returned emotionally drained, feeling we had wasted our time. A few months later, I received a call from Russ Stratton, a very excited executive producer for The Unexplained who said they had had a breakthrough on Ryan's case. He had hired a Hollywood historian to go through the archives at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science Library in order to identify the man in the picture. He had already contacted Dr. Tucker, and they were interested in visiting with us with a different camera crew. He couldn't disclose much information because he didn't want to taint the investigation process. Neither did Dr. Tucker. Cindy, I have been producing television shows for 10 years, and this is the most extraordinary thing that I have ever seen, he told me. When the team arrived the following week, Ryan warmed up to Russ and instantly liked him. As part of the process, with the cameras rolling, Dr. Tucker laid out four black and white pictures on our table. All of them were pretty women, and the pictures looked similar to one another. He then asked Ryan if any of them looked familiar to him. Ryan instantly pointed to one of the unmarked photos and stated, That one. She looks familiar. I saw Dr. Tucker's smile widen and I asked nervously, Who is she? Dr. Tucker replied, She was his wife. Ryan grinned and shook his head with gratification. Ryan then picked out a picture of his previous family. He, the man in the bowler hat, was not in the photo, but it showed his wife, two stepdaughters, the three adopted sons, an insert of the biological daughter. But the most shocking was when Dr. Tucker laid out another group of pictures, all of older men in suits. Ryan didn't need any time with these, despite Dr. Tucker's instructions to take his time and think about them. He quickly pointed to one and said, That's Senator Five. Dr. Tucker then told us the man in the photo was New York Senator Ives. 
We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we're talking about reincarnation and a really fantastic story of five-year-old Ryan, who had a ton of memories of a past life of someone else. And so where we left off was Ryan was convinced of a bad man, and he called him Senator Five. And Dr. Jim Tucker was actually able to prove that there was a New York senator named Ives, I-V-E-S. And when he told Ryan about it, Ryan actually got upset and he said, I missed his name by one stupid letter. So the next thing that happened was Ryan was presented four photos of a young man in tennis clothes, three of them holding a racket. He pointed to one and said it was familiar. It was the man in the bowler hat at a young age. Then finally, Dr. Tucker asked Kevin, the father, to read the four names out loud and asked Ryan to choose one. He read them very slowly. John Johnson, Willie Wilson, Marty Martin, 
Robert Robertson. Ryan shook his head no for the first two and the fourth, but did not respond at all to Marty Martin. At the end, he said this name was the one. Dr. Tucker told us he was right. This was the name of the man in the photo. He proceeded to go over many of the memories Ryan had, which had been written down and had been in front of him, and told us they were correct for the life of this man. Marty had indeed been an agent. He ran Marty Martin Talent Agency, representing some of Hollywood's leading stars, most of whom had changed their names. Marty died on Christmas Day in 1964 when he was 61 in the hospital. I was stunned. I remembered that Ryan had said one day that he didn't know why God would let you get to 61 and then make you come back again as a baby. This was written on April 2nd in my journal. A few days before, when we were in the hospital, when I had some tests done, he had said that you have to go to a room with numbers on the door before you die. At that time, I had no idea what that meant, but now it was clear that Marty's hospital door would have had a number on it. When the film crew left, Ryan and I sat alone in what became a very private time for both of us. They had left pictures for him to keep. In fact, Russ had made Ryan a complete book filled with photos and even an old sheet that contained vital statistic records that verified that he had indeed changed his name, just as he had said, and that there had been two sisters. Their ages were scrawled out along with their names in an early handwritten 1900s census form. The sister he had loved so much was in some of the photos with him dancing on the stages of New York. In fact, she had lived in Paris, dancing there at a young age, and there were photos of Marty in front of the Paris landmarks like the Eiffel Tower when he had visited her. There were even some photos of the big fancy boats that he used to get there. Seeing the photo of the oldest stepdaughter gave Ryan a headache. He became furious as he said, She had no respect, no respect. He was quick to let me know that he had no desire to see her again, ever, at all. The photos were powerful for Ryan. He loved the ones that showed Marty as young and handsome. He wasn't pleased at all to see the ones that showed him older and bald. He would say, let's go back to those ones before. Then he told me that he hoped that he didn't lose his hair this time around like he had last time. The producer told us that they had contacted Marty Martin's one biological child, and she had agreed to meet with us at a neutral spot. She was only eight years old when her father died, so we really were not sure just how much she would be able to tell us. But we all felt it would be worthwhile, even though I suspected it would be hard for Ryan to see his previous young daughter now old enough to be his grandmother. The trip was planned for August, a month past Ryan's sixth birthday. Ryan was very shy when we were with Marty Martin's daughter. He didn't want to talk much to her and stayed out of the room most of the time. Now in her 50s, she was agreeable and tried to be helpful. She was able to confirm many of the details that Ryan had provided and that I had written down in my journal for Dr. Tucker's files. They were the small personal things, like he did drive a green car, and nobody else was allowed to drive it but him. Ryan had claimed that his address had the word rock or mount in it, and they lived on Roxbury Drive. Her father hated cats and never allowed her to have one as a child, but instead he had bought her a dog, and she admitted that she hated the dog, just as Ryan had told me previously. Marty had had an extensive collection of sunglasses, and there was more. She answered all of the questions as best she could, at least the ones that she could remember. When we went to Marty's home, it had been partially torn down and was in the process of renovation. 
But the swimming pool was still there, and Ryan smiled during the whole trip. He seemed so relieved that he finally had proof that he hadn't just made it all up. The most amazing part was when we got back to the building where Marty Martin Talent Agency had been. It was a beautiful old building in downtown Beverly Hills with a chandelier in the entryway. The offices were locked, but we were still able to walk around inside. The ceilings were some of the most beautiful that I had ever seen. Ryan ran up the stairs so he could show his dad how you could sit out on the roof and smoke. At one point, he sat on the windowsill and just smiled, taking it all in. He would have just sat there all day if we had let him. He didn't say much, but his face said everything. We returned home with a different outlook. Marty's daughter sent us many photos, which we had seen when we were there, of her father, mother, herself, and their home. Some showed Marty at the beach or in Paris or holding his daughter when she was about two years old. We also had pictures of the Rolls Royce, which his wife drove, the piano in the house, and her with the dog Marty gave her, since he hated cats. Ryan was relieved of a lot of uncertainty, and seemed better able to live in the present as Ryan. He had been able to prove that he was right, and that there really had been an old me who matched his stories. For the most part, he was content to believe that now he could leave the past behind and enjoy his new life. He seemed more peaceful. He still talked about memories somewhat, but less and less over time. I felt as if we had finished. Now we had an ending. The day I walked through the agency building with Ryan forever changed my life. I saw a small boy act as if he were truly returning home after a long journey. The sadness was gone, and his whole face was lit up with joy. I didn't know what to make of it, but it made me feel as if anything was possible. And just a little side note, when this was all said and done with, 55 memories were actually verified about the life of Marty Martin. Here's just a few. He lived in Hollywood. He was rich. His house was big. There were three boys. He didn't think the boys were his, but he gave them his name. He had a daughter. He had a very large swimming pool. His mother had curly brown hair. He had a younger sister. He bought his daughter a dog when she was about six. She didn't like the dog. He hated cats. He knew Senator Ives, which he called Five. He had a green car. He changed people's names through his agency. He tap danced on the stage. He went to Paris, saw the Eiffel Tower. He did know Rita Hayworth, the woman who made ice drinks. He was a smoker. He had a sunglass collection and so much more. That is an amazing story, isn't it? gave me goosebumps so many times reading it to you. I just recently did a little research about how we live life based on what we believe. And people who believe in reincarnation are being really good stewards of the earth because they want a good place to come back to. Again, those who believe are recycling, keeping the environment clean, volunteering, keeping their electric bills low, reduced waste, and so many other things. While people that are of a belief that they have some kind of judgment in the afterlife, the Christians, the Muslims, the Jews, seem to concentrate more on personal success, financial independence, believing the more they achieve in this life and the more they accomplish will be rewarded in the next one. Here's a couple of quotes on reincarnation. This one by J.D. Salinger. It's so silly. All you do is get the heck out of your body when you die. My gosh, everyone's done it a thousand times. Just because they don't remember, it doesn't mean they haven't done it. And this one by Henry Ford. I adopted the theory of reincarnation when I was 26. Genius is experience. Some seem to think that it is a gift or a talent, but it is the fruit of long experience in many lives. So in closing out this show today, I hope you've enjoyed it. 
I'm not telling you what to believe in or really what I believe in because it's so much a mystery. But the bottom line is this proves that we go on after physical death. I encourage you to check out the books by Jim B. Tucker, MD, and you can easily find his website, jimbtucker.com. And remember to come visit your friends at wedontdie.com for our Sunday gathering, for one of our classes, for one of our demonstrations. I tell you, my friend, there's more to life than meets the eye, and there's certainly more to you than you know. I'm Sandra Champlain, and thank you for listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Make sure and check out all our shows on the iHeartRadio app or by going to iHeartRadio.com. 